A child's death that has haunted the town of Pekin for the past year. On November 18th, 13-year-old Robert B. was reported as a runaway by his mother. However, we have been in touch with the Illinois State Police and are in the process of entering information of a missing or endangered person advisory. And what happened to Robert B. brought people in Pekin out to search for answers themselves weekend after weekend. Thousands of leads poured into the Pekin Police Department. The search for the teenager coming to a halt on a hot July day when his skeletal remains were found. This is Ashes to Ash, The Disappearance of Robert B. You are currently listening to the audio podcast version that is taken directly from the video docu-series episode. The video version is available to watch on YouTube at Ashes to Ash TV or on Facebook at Ashes to Ash True Crime. We recommend watching the video version if possible, as there are a lot of rich visuals that enhance the episodes. One of the first things I, when I started researching the Bonsai case and looking into Pekin itself, I was really kind of surprised at how many unsolved murders had been in the town of Pekin, and even how many unsolved murders there were in and around the area. And I think it surprised me because Pekin is not a huge city. It is kind of a small town with about 30 plus thousand people. So it really kind of surprised me how many unsolved murders that there were. Um, but as I kind of looked at those in regards to the Bonsai case, I couldn't really make any connections between them. So I didn't see any really linkages between any of the other murders that had happened and Bonsai. Um, at least right off the bat. So it was interesting when Manchin finally reached out via Facebook Messenger, because he was the per first person to kind of challenge that thought process. And he was going all the way back to the 70s and saying that there were deaths uh, or murders in the 70s that could also be the same person who potentially killed Bonsai. And that, that seemed like a stretch to me, but I definitely wanted to hear him out. So he was thinking that, in 1972, a young man by the name of Richard Greiner at the age of 13 went missing. He went out sledding one day and never returned, and his body was never found. Um, and then what's kind of eerie about that is that 300 yards from where he was and disappeared from, um, in 1976, you have Mark Hemlig, who's nine years old, who also goes missing. Now, Mark's body was found about 23 days later in a boxcar over in Peoria. But I think it's really fascinating that you have two boys who live three blocks from each other and disappeared 300 yards from each other. Because um, I feel like that can sometimes say or link that there potential linkage between it's the same killer. Now, Jim Conover, who had worked for the Pekin Police Department for quite a while, actually made a movie about this. And um, in that, he draws a correlation for the, between the death of Mark Hemlig to someone that he terms as Boxcar Willie, as far as the person who killed Mark Hemlig. Um, but when Manchin reached out, he was saying that he believed it was the same person who killed Mark Hemlig and Richard Greiner that also killed Bonsai. So I really kind of had to pause and take a look at that. I think that 40-year 
gap in time, it, it would be a little bit surprising. I don't think you see a killer usually go dormant for that long. And then also that's really aging somebody. Um, so now you're saying that somebody's in their 80s is killing people, which obviously we all know is not an impossibility. Um, it just seems like kind of a long shot. So I really wanted to talk to him and find out more about why he thought these murders were connected. Uh, I guess, how did you become, we're just gonna call him the preacher right now, just to kind of keep preacher, it, yeah, yeah just yeah. so that we're not, I need to protect. Well, the, um, the preacher has been an ongoing thing since, um, say, I uh, was I was five, I believe. Okay. And um, that's when uh, Mark came up missing. And Jim Corbett actually knocked on our door. He's the one that knocked on the door and was looking for Mark. And uh, oh wow! So the cops came to your house because you were yeah. friends with him. Yes, my brother Dave was best friends with Mark. And how old was Mark at the time? Wasn't he? 12? Um, he was. Uh, I think he Around? was. I think he was like seven or nine. Oh, or okay. So he was littler than I was thinking. Okay. Yeah, I didn't put two to two together when I was until I was older. Okay. Because um, we started going back to church which used to be this, like the summer camp bus or whatever. And um, we were going back to church and he had a food pantry there and uh, he did fish fries and he took all these other kids fishing and um, he took me fishing a lot. He, I, for some reason I was like his favorite for a while. And um, he would tell me stories about other kids that got lost and you know, and um, we came up missing and, and um, I didn't put it together until uh, he, uh, he tried to molest me when I was 15. Wow. My dad came to me one day and asked me if I wanted to go fishing with the Reverend because the Reverend didn't have anybody else to go fishing with. Mm -hmm. I said, yeah, sure. I'll, you know, we would fish in like a hundred times or whatever. Yeah, okay. you know. And I like to go fishing, so I went with him. He picked me up. He, he, he didn't act strange or nothing at first. He was, no, it was a normal thing. Yeah. Um, until we got there. Okay. To spot who he was going to. Okay. And it was just the two of you? It was just the two of us. Okay. Yeah. And then he started talking about boys, about, um, you know, do do I get a hard on? Do, you know, oh, yeah. do I do I like boys or girls yeah. and all that other stuff? And, um, and he, he was putting his hand on my leg and rubbing up and down my leg. Yeah. And he had Creepy. this ring on, like this, a, a big ring and... I, don't know, I was scared to death. Oh my! I can't I imagine was, as I a fifteen-year-old. And um, he stopped at a hot dog stand, a white hot dog stand, and bought okay. me an ice cream. Okay. And he gave me two dollars. And he got back in the car. He opened the glove compartment up. And he says, "Do you know what that is?" I said, "Gun." He goes, "Yeah." God. And he goes, do you know what happens if you say anything? And I said, yeah. And he goes, good boy. And he drove me home, but it took us forever to get out there. But on the way back, it was a fast route. Wow. And then when he got there to my house, he told my parents that we caught all these fish. We didn't catch any fish. He had a, two buckets of fish and the, uh, the back floorboard already made up. Wow. 
So what, did you ever tell your parents what happened or? Oh yeah, yeah, my dad went over and like beat him up and oh. everything and I had to go to the police station and um, they asked me if he touched me and I said no, he didn't, but he, as you know, he threatened me, you know, whatever. Yeah, you know. he was going to. And um, so like later that week, he came back and he tried to shoot me through the window. Yeah. I was I was sleeping upstairs on on a couch. Yeah. And um he, he, it was late at night and um he, he shot through the window. I heard something I didn't, I didn't see anything. But it went through two panes of glass and it went up and it hit a picture frame Whoa. of a last supper <laughs> oh. that my mom had in the living room. That's really weird. And it hit the picture frame and the, the bullet bounced off and they found the bullet and everything and my dad said after that was, that was enough that he wanted to leave. So we, right after that, we went to Florida, like right after that. Wow. Within a month, yeah. And what, after the, how were, how were you, how did you know it was him who shot the house? Um, his gun. It was okay, so you kind of, you kind of made yeah. the connection that yeah. it was that because of, and. It was so obvious too, because he was serious. Yeah, absolutely. Stuff, yeah, I so. mean, if someone threatens you and then yeah. your house is shot, it's kind of like you're able to make that connection a little yeah. bit. So, but you never, you had, you didn't like see him or you never confronted him about the shooting itself? No. Okay. No. So. My, my parents called the cops. They made a report. The police came down. Here's Lisa, Bonsai's mother. Did you ever, and I, sorry, I know this is a really, really tough subject or question I'm about to ask. So if you don't feel comfortable answering it either, that's, you know, don't, don't be afraid to say I don't want to answer that, but did you ever see any signs that he was being physically or sexually abused prior to him going missing by? I didn't notice anything. Notice anything, okay. When you went to the cops, originally when Bonsai went missing, because you went to the cops with this story, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Um, How did they react? It was, it's, it's weird because um, they, I even called them they blew it off like, nah, he just, this old man didn't do it, you know. They, they didn't really say much about it yeah. or, or nothing. And um, They just kind of heard you out and then you never yeah, heard anything. I never heard nothing. So what made you think that Bonsai was potentially buried behind? It was a couple weeks after he came up missing. Okay. And I went back there and there was a lump in the ground right in the back back there. And I actually got out of my car and looked at it. And then while I was got out of my car, he got he came out and started talking to me. And he was like, can I help you? And I was like, yeah. I was like, do, do you have a youth camp here still? Yeah. You know, do you have a youth mm -hmm. um, church service or, you know, or you have a youth pastor? Or, yeah. Well, no, I don't really do uh, much of that anymore. And, and, okay. uh, and how long would you say that mound was after? It was like, um, it was a couple weeks. Was okay, couple so it was a couple weeks. weeks. So yeah. you just had your spidey senses up. You were all of a sudden thinking, yeah. well, maybe because this mm -hmm. happened to me, maybe this happened to him. So you were just kind of doing your own little yeah. Invest yeah. private investigation or whatever. We checked in with both Michael and Sharon, both former reporters from the Pekin Times. 
One man uh, was convinced that uh, Robert was buried behind a church wow. uh, where a, a certain uh, minister had had a history of uh, supposedly of uh, pedophilia. Okay, and, uh, and he was going to go over there himself and take a look. And I called the police and said, yeah, we're aware of that. Oh, okay. Okay, we're aware <laughs> of it. So uh, he wasn't found there. And it was not unique to, uh, for this community. It yeah. wasn't the first time. Yeah. You know, we've had it happen before. Um, Mark Helmig, he disappeared years ago. Um, and uh, they found his body in a train car. Um, and he was dead, and uh, he had been um, sexually assaulted, and uh, he was missing, I believe, for some time. Mm -hmm. And uh, they, I, I don't think that anybody was ever convicted for his death. Um, and then we had another little boy. His name was, uh, I think, Richard Griner, mm -hmm. um, and uh, that was in 1972, and he was never found. That's been 47 years ago, and. You know, the community then went into mourning yeah. and, uh, you know, he could not be found. Uh, would you think in your head, you're pretty much convinced yes. that this is who murdered Bonsai? Yes, I am. And what do you think, and obviously this is speculation because this is just something I've been thinking about, but like, it seems like there was, there hasn't been many missing boys in this particular two towns, like Peoria Pekin, since the 70s. So mm -hmm. do you think that he just, took no, a break or I I do I do think he, he just took a break and what was there ever any bad blood between you and the preacher besides that final day was no. there anything up to that up to that you were like no, basically it, buddies kind of yeah we were like, or yeah, you were comfortable we were with him yeah I was okay. and then so all of a sudden now a month later bonsai Came up missing. Did you connect it right away or did you think he was a runaway possibly at um, first I, I could I connected it right away I okay um, and the, and the reason why is because um, I thought that the reverend did it because I seen the reverend, I ran into, I had court and I seen him in, at the courthouse stand in front of the uh, courtroom where they do DNA testing. Mm -hmm. And he was there. And right after that, I went straight to his house and looked again. Yeah. And. He had a, a bunch of wood pile chip that a bunch of wood piles, and he had piled it on top of that spot where I thought it was a grave site that looked like a grave site. Okay. And uh, do you think it's weird that the body ended up on Keith Brackett's aunt's property, who's connected to Lisa? Did you think, like, what did you think about that, or you didn't really know that? Um, I didn't really know it at the time. Okay. Uh, but when I found out. It was uh, it was kind of obvious, in a sense, because um, it's be it was he was found on the other side of the fence. It wasn't found in the yard. Yeah, he's on the other side of the fence. Absolutely. And he, uh, you know, he could have just dug him back up and put his bones in a bucket, a couple of buckets, and just toss it back there. Yeah, absolutely. What do you think, though? Do you think it's weird that he happened to pick a property that could easily be someone who's a suspect in this case? You know, the the, the police led it on to um, the, that guy as a suspect. 
Oh, okay. So you had heard time. publicly that he was a suspect yes. ahead of time. So then that would have been, you're thinking, an easy frame-up job from yes. the yes. reverend. Yes. Okay. He could have just walked right down the tracks and could have stumped the bones out of yeah. the bucket. But when I was on Facebook and I was texting and I was writing um, the search party, mm-hmm. and I said, hey, you know, you might want to look behind Reverend's church. Well, somebody from the surf, surf part, the search party, was a member of the church. Okay. And they were saying, "Well, you, our Reverend wouldn't do that. We're planting a garden there, and he's, he wouldn't never do anything like that." And they text the Reverend, and they he replied back, and he said that he was just gonna go to bed and laugh this off and go to bed. He, so who did he say that to? That search party. That like, was oh, okay. one of the search party How members. did you see that message? She sent it back to me uh, as a so she uh, was, screenshot. Okay, so she, and do you have that? I don't, I okay. don't have it. And do you think, so she's kind of defending him. She was, they all, they all were. There was like um, about six people that were defending him. He, he has a way with people. He does. He's a, he's a charming person. You wouldn't think that he would, you know, by talking to him, he's like a normal person. I think it, he um, he did this as one more, you know, one more time, you know, one more time, one more, yeah, one more chance. So one of the interesting things that happened while I was talking to Manchin was he sent me a photo of a sock that he said he also found behind this person's property. It stood out to me because the sock had a little emblem on it, but because it was kind of uh, what I interpreted as a very interesting looking sock at first, I definitely wanted to know more about it. So after he sent it to me while I was still on the phone with him, I immediately forwarded that to Lisa to find out if that sock looked like a sock bonsai might have owned. And I said, have you ever known Bonsai to have a sock like this? She responded immediately with, where did you find that sock? It looks like my son's sock. And when she said that is when it really made me pause for a moment and, and know that I had to investigate this line of thinking Um, regardless of the validity I saw in it at first, but I had to at least go into this a little deeper to see if it was real or not. What if this other theory holds water? Because even if this guy had nothing to do with bonsai, like now I feel like I have to at least walk down the road. A little bit, yeah. I think when you look at where the... Um, the facility that this person ran is in comparison to like where all the I like this is always what I find shocking I'm sure you experience this where someone tells you something and you picture it in your head right like even when they said it was rural Tazewell County and then his body's found on the edge of town same thing here I'm picturing like a ski hill over here or I'm sorry I'm picturing a sledding hill over here uh, uh, the 4-H here Mark living on the other side of town and this facility being on the and it's not it's all within They're all right three blocks kind yeah. of of each other like or not They're, maybe not quite but we're talking like you could easily walk like no problem anyone could walk it like yeah. 
And that is all of a sudden, that's so startling to me. Because all of a sudden you're like, oh, that's not, that's not even that crazy. I mean, especially when you think about, he, he pointed at the, the church before and where he lived, the, the um, pastor. He pointed out where the pastor's church was and where he lived. He's not very far from Bonsai. It's a little overwhelming for me right now. Just like right? this whole, like, like being this far into it. And now we hear another story. At the very least, I, I genuinely believe that this guy was or almost molested by this guy. Oh, I, I believe his interaction with the, the um, pastor was 100% genuine. He seems, he seems very genuine about it. It seems like it has affected him. If what he said was true, even to a level of, like, all the details don't match up, but the story is the same. Yeah. This is a really scary situation. Absolutely. That this guy has been operating in this area for the last 50 years. Yeah, so that's the thing. Is like, I feel like we have to uh, walk a very fine line here where we're asking people for information but not destroying somebody's reputation when we don't have all of our facts yet. Yeah. So how do we get the information we need without shining light on this? You know, one of the things I love about doing this is all the information and tips that we're given, and a lot of them don't lead to leads that I believe fit with the evidence. Um, but it is, it's still amazing to hear a story of a man um, who was traumatized as a child and had just come out of it and is still making connections into his adult life. And so I really appreciate the fact that we're given that information so at least we can look into it and potentially uh, eliminate things or at least bring the information forward so that people can make up their own minds on if they think it has some validity to this case. Um, another interesting thing we dealt with with this case is a lot is psychics. Uh, we've had quite a few psychics or people who have spoken to psychics who have come out of the woodworks. And that's always really an interesting road to walk because um, I'm not saying I don't believe in psychics. I, I, I definitely don't know everything what's out there and, and what people are capable of. Um, but sometimes it's really hard to put validity in that when there's not evidence to substantiate it. But I think we do have to acknowledge some of the crazy coincidences that did happen with psychics prior to Robert's body being found. Of course, not only do you have that kind of intriguing psychic side of things, but also does the person know what happened to Bonsai? Were they somehow involved? Or do they have uh, information from someone and they're playing it off as they're a psychic giving this information? So some of these really piqued my interest for many reasons. So when I originally got this message from Brooke, I was extremely intrigued to say the least. She said, hey Ash, my name is Brooke. I held a lot of the vigils and had a big part in the searches for Robert B. I also called the police out there to the very spot where he was found and they turned their back on me and that was on December of 2017. So we're talking a month after he went missing. Please get with me, I would love to talk with you. That's very interesting to me that you already knew the location of the body prior to the police actually finding the body there. So I think it was a road I definitely had to go down to try to figure out how this information was obtained and who had given it. I got involved due to messages being sent to my phone about um, where Robert, his remains would be found. So did you get those messages before you ever even searched? Yes. 
Wow. Yeah. So I had, I, the only thing I knew is that he was a runaway. So what do you think prompted um, Nicole to message you about it? Being in the groups and okay, being so you're open on the minded. Facebook yeah. groups. Okay, okay. I was on the mm -hmm. Facebook groups, but I was open minded about the whole thing. Mm -hmm. You know, I had hope that he did actually run away and that he'd be fine. Yeah, of course. But he wasn't. So. Yeah. So through those groups and you being active on it, mm -hmm. someone who you had not met before, right. named Nicole, reached out to you. Right. And and how did the, how did that even come about? Like, what did they say? I was sitting at home and I got a message. Um, sent to me on Facebook um, that gave me the full description of where he was, um, the rural area, mm -hmm. the railroad tracks, everything. I in turn called the police. Yeah. And that's when I got in contact with Danielle Keene. And she, I emailed her the messages that I had received. Mm -hmm. um, and it just kind of went from there. But I never, after I got that message, I was so scared. I ended up going out there to that area yeah. more than once. And I stayed there. I never left that area. I never yeah. went with any other search parties. Um, I never went on any other searches. I went to vigils. I went to everything that had to do with him. Mm -hmm. But I never left that area. So you, you legitimize these messages to really be where you should be focused Absolutely. on your searches. And what, were, were you concerned at all that somebody had information about where he was or how did you find out it was from a psychic? So me, me and Nicole were talking and she proceeded to tell me that it was, she was speaking to a medium mm -hmm. and that she was kind of the in-between um, as to where all the messages were coming from. Mm -hmm. I guess I didn't think up until recently that it wasn't a medium, I guess you could say. Yeah. That is kind of raising a big red flag in my head. Yeah. Because I don't know. But I know that to a T, that's exactly where he was found. I got those messages, I believe it was November. I want to say it was like the 23rd or the 24th yeah. of November is when I started getting those messages. What do, you, what do you think now? Do you think that you were talking to someone that was a psychic or do you think you were talking to somebody? I don't know yet. Yeah. I'm, I'm still kind of in the air with that. Mm -hmm. um, I feel as if whoever I was talking through Nicole with mm -hmm. knew everything. Yeah. Everything. Absolutely. From Sounds like it how he got there to, I mean, just everything. The conversations were just so crazy. The properties that I was took to, everything that I was told was on this property was on the property. Mm -hmm. It was real eerie feeling. Do you think, did you ever research Nicole at all? No. Do you, uh, do you think that she is either the informant or the psychic and she's pretending it's somebody else? Or do you think she genuinely is getting this from somebody else? I'm kind of up in the air on that. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, like I said, I don't know Nicole. Yeah. Um, I've never met her in person. I still speak with her from time to time. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I spoke with her after Robert was found. Yeah. But she always put it as, well, this is what he said. So she's, This is what he's telling me. Okay, so she's saying the psychic's male. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, the medium spoke with Robert. Yeah. Um, spoke with Robert's spirit. So you, obviously we all know the body was on the other side of that chain link fence now, but you guys, do you know of anyone who would have searched actually on that property or did you ever see anyone searching on that property any closer than you guys got? Okay. No, because I did not have permission to go on that property. Keith, I spoke with Keith that day and asked him if we could search that property and he told me no. He said no, there was no reason for us to search that property. Okay. And I told Danielle Keene all this. Yeah. I told her all this. I spoke with Rainey more than once. I never, when, when them messages came to my phone, I was sitting at home by myself. Yeah. And my ex-wife was at work, and I called her, and I sent her these. And, and I was shaking. I was so scared. I didn't know what to do. So I called the detectives. Well, they treated me like I was just a piece of shit. I told them where he was. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't listen. Yeah. They just blew it off. Mm-hmm. I was crazy because I was listening to a medium. But regardless if it was a medium or not, right? they should have followed through with it. Because they should curious. Right. Either they, way. They should have searched that mm-hmm. with a fine-tooth comb like I tried to do. The search that they had at TAPS, they should have did a search like that over there. And what TAPS was, uh, an animal shelter? It's that... an animal shelter, yeah. They searched all behind that. What made you, when you first started getting these messages, especially from someone you didn't know, what what made you gravitate towards? I mean, what made you accept it? Everything was there. Yeah. I guess I was still leery until I actually went out there with two of my girlfriends. Mm-hmm. And I was on the phone. I actually had charger packs with me. Um, I was on the phone texting Nicole the whole time. Yeah. And she was, in turn, whether it be herself or be her talking to a medium, was telling me everything on this property. Mm-hmm. The, from, from everything, from the truck being on the property to the, the broken windshield, the, the fruit on the ground, the McDonald's in the, in the burn barrel. Like, yeah. everything was there. So it was, it was hard to walk away when you're being led to something like that. Mm-hmm. I've never been interested in anything in my life like I was with this. Yeah, that's, that's very And I was powerful. scared mm-hmm. the whole time. Was it the psychic that got you to walk over by the blue house that was around the corner? Yeah, he led me there. So what did the, what kind of, what did they, what was it like? The blue house was, it was it nope. the address? It was, you need to, you need to walk the other way. You're going too far. Because you're texting yes, Nicole. Yes, you're going too far. You need to turn around. You need to walk the other way. Um, it even got to the point to where I got a message that said, whose shoe's untied? I mean, they knew that one of the girls that was with me had a white, um, it was either a white or a cream colored like ear, like a headband, like a warmer, yeah. an ear warmer. Um, he knew what color she had on. How many people were with you? There was three of us. There was three of you. There was three of us. And uh, this is going to sound like a very stupid question, but I was obviously, I just feel like the audience is going to want to know this. There was obviously no one in your group messaging you. Uh, Nobody else had their phone out. Oh, perfect. Yep, that's exactly what I'm It was just me. It was just me that had my phone Mm -hmm. out. They had the charger packs. I had the charger packs. Yeah. We just wanted to make sure that my phone was going. Nobody was on their phone. Yeah. Nobody was on their phone. We were too busy. 
and it was cold. You and know? it sounded like the, from where you guys even started to where you were, you were far enough where it couldn't have been someone watching you from a house either. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, there was no way. Mm -hmm. I was also told that the house was abandoned. Okay. But it was not unoccupied. Okay. And I was told to back away, um, call the cops if you feel, but it was more or less of a back away and watch mm -hmm. and see what comes of it. Yeah. We ended up moving to the front of the house on mm -hmm. the road because yeah. I was scared. Of course, that would be terrifying. And um, we were on that property for a good two and a half, three hours yeah. walking it. And it's not that big of a property, but mm -hmm. we searched it. When we went back onto the property without the cops being there, after I called the cops, mm -hmm. they still had not showed up, um, there was an ID and a debit card laying there. Okay. To where you could tell somebody had left mm. the property. Um, as soon as I reached down and picked it up, one of the girls that was searching with me grabbed my arm and said, Brooke, look, somebody's looking in the window. And when I turned around, I had the ID and debit card in my hand, and it was Detective Keene. She had showed up out there finally. Oh, okay. I gave it to her. I was told that I needed to get off the property. Mm -hmm. Basically that I was crazy. I was listening to a medium. Mm -hmm. That was as far as it went. Do you remember if the, how old the person looked in the picture? Um, he was in his teens. He had okay. to have been in between Younger. 16 and 19. Okay. He didn't look very old. And it wasn't someone you recognized or anyone no. since then that you've no. been like, oh, that, that could have been so-and-so. I've researched mm. it. Oh, I mean, I've, funny. I mean, I've Facebook, you know, I mean, you can find everybody on Facebook. Yeah. And in the picture that was in there, I have not came across him on Facebook. Mm. So you think you'd remember him if you saw him? I see his face every day. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you know, I can see him. Do you think that had anything to do with it, or do you think it was totally random? I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> that's weird, right? I don't know. Just the fact that I was told that that property was abandoned but unoccupied, and after being on that property for so long, and then walking back around the corner after walking away from it, mm -hmm. and there was an ID and a debit card laying there, that didn't settle well with me. Yeah. I don't know if... I don't know who he was. I don't know where he was. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if he ran off. I don't know how they got there mm -hmm. because they weren't there. Did you ever like look in the windows of the house at all? Yeah. This window, this first window right here on this side. Yeah. When you looked in that window, there was a twin bed and a book bag. in an open notebook folder. But he couldn't get in there. Yeah. And you you had thought that that might have been Fonz. Where he was staying or yeah. to begin with. There was just, the room was just a disarray. And I had said something to the cops about that when they got there. And they said, they basically just brushed it off. There's no way nobody could get in this house. It, the doors are locked. Mm -hmm. The stuff hadn't been there that long. Yeah. There was no way. And this was just in December. Yeah. So, I mean, it was, you know, a month, maybe less than a month. Mm -hmm. They could have done so much more. I, when, when, when the cops got there, 
And Danielle Keene came out there and she looked at me like I was nuts. Mm -hmm. That's heartbreaking. Absolutely. I was so close. Mm -hmm. Whoever I was talking to was so close. Absolutely. He should have been found then. Yeah, which is crazy because on the 23rd, the bow hunter says he saw him. Right. I mean, was, was he still alive? Was he there? You know, Was he hiding out? Did he find a way in? I mean, we have a scrapper on our hands. And Exactly. <laughs> he was a fighter. He yeah. was a survivor. Yeah. But there was a window on the opposite side of this house that was open. Mm-hmm. And it was just big enough for him. Mm-hmm. He could have crawled in there. Yeah. He could have crawled out. The messages were so surreal. Everything was so surreal in those messages. I've never experienced that. I, I think Brooke was getting some messages from somebody. I don't doubt this part. Uh, yeah, okay, so I believe that she was being led somewhere. Absolutely. by someone by whether someone. it was this Nicole person that she stated yeah or whether it was someone else mm-hmm. that was leading through Nicole to get to Brooke to make sure that information was getting sent out right um, like yeah was it somebody who knew maybe where he was at that moment because maybe he was in that house I mean you don't even know and they were really wanting to make sure that somebody knew and they probably were reaching out onto people at Facebook and I'm sure a lot of people were like what no uh but because they all of a sudden come across her and she accepted it but it, it is really unnerving to me that they're searching by a house that's abandoned that's eight to ten houses away uh, maybe a minute walk I mean, two minutes at the fucking most if you're walking really slow. And that's weird. The whole whole thing was, has been a little weird from the very get-go. Right, and I don't really like how the messages don't exist anymore for some reason. But, like, what I do, the facts are, so, so erase everything. Erase the fact that it's a psychic. Erase the fact that it's a message going through. Somebody knew something. And, I mean, my biggest question at the end of the day is, okay, so someone came here with information. Mm-hmm. The information was accurate. Right. The police never looked into it because they heard a median was tied course, to it. Makes sense, maybe on some level. It doesn't make sense to me at all because if you don't believe in medians, then you believe that one of those people knew information right. and you never looked further. It should have been almost more of like, okay, we know who did it because we are someone who knows who did it because we have somebody with this information. That's that's one of those things like none of these people are reporters. None of these people get any ethical coverage to hide their sources or anything like that. Yeah. How is there not a police officer looking for this Nicole person to figure out who the hell you were talking to because they're clearly involved in the murder? Yeah, like, at least they at least it, you find out, like, what is happening. And I, I think it's really bizarre, uh, and obviously it could have been nothing, but, like, that there is a book bag and an open notebook like I know this sounds crazy but is that shit still sitting in the blue house 
like we we went to a horse trailer that should have not been moved at for three years. Yeah. I think there's a really interesting story in this. And I really want to know more just about this person. But I'm also prepared that it's most likely just going to be a stone wall. Yeah. Even if you find out who the person is, they'll probably not want to talk to us at all. The Disappearance of Robert B. was created, produced, and directed by Ash Patino. The production team is also made up of Cole Ellers, Michael Howard, and Danny O'Halloran. Ashes to Ash is a video docuseries and audio podcast. Video versions will be released every other week, and the audio podcast versions will be released every other alternating week. You can follow these episodes and get more information at facebook.com slash ashes to ash true crime. Please contact us on Facebook or ashland57 at gmail.com if you have any information on the case. You can remain anonymous. If you know of anything illegal with the case, please contact your local police department.